Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on December 12, 2021. Pastor Rem Dias continues into the Advent season with his sermon from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, titled Waiting in Hope. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you guys. Good to gather here uh, in the Lutheran Church. We're so grateful to get to use their space. And um, just a little heads up, there is a Christmas Eve service here at 7.30 that um, they're hosting. And uh, we're all invited to join them, which could be a fun fellowship time to spend uh, and support people who have been so generous with us. So hope to see a lot of you guys there. We always like to start worship remembering why we're planting a church, what we're gathering around here, and that's our mission statement, which says, by grace, we are rooted in the gospel, committed to growing together, and sent to love like in, in the nations. If you would, please, we'll rise and join Chad in the call to worship. Good morning. Today's call to worship is Psalm 89. I'll read the unbolded portion that say leader, and you can all join me in the bolded portion that says follow. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For it said, steadfast love will be built up forever, and in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. <clears throat> you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. Sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Thank you. 
because you were still a young boy, um, we come here today to see the works that you've done, to be reminded of them, so that we can remember that you are in us also, you've given us your spirit, and we ask that your spirit would be present here today, that it would come into our hearts, and that we could take it out into the world to be your hands and feet, not just in this holy Christmas season, but year-round. that your grace is sufficient for all of the messes that we make, which we continue to make daily, God, but you are sufficient, the work that you've done is enough, and we get to come to you with open hearts and honesty and leave all at the foot of the cross because you've done everything and more than we need. We just come to you today asking for your presence, your forgiveness, your mercy, and your guidance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
let you have your worship guide and invite you to flip it on the back. Uh, <clears throat> we come now to a time of renewal. And again, it's, it's a time we look at scripture and we love that word renewal. And we're just coming and saying, we need renewal. Uh, we need God's grace. Again, and today's passage is so profound because of one word. And, uh, I'll get there in just a second. So 1 John chapter 4, 9 through 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, what does that word mean? How we read things all the time, right? And so what does that mean? That word means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. So it's talking about, it's, it's bearing God's wrath and turns it to favor. Do you guys understand that's what Christ has done? That's why we celebrate. That's why we see. Because, by the way, without Christ, you are enemies of God. Enemies of God. But because of what Christ has done, he has taken the wrath that was due you and put it on his son. And then said, I'm going to give you the favor. And so let us rest in that grace this morning. Let us pour out our hearts to God right now in a time of silent prayer and confession. Father God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus. He is the propitiation. Thank you that, Jesus, you have absorbed the wrath that was due us upon the cross. And Father, you have granted us favor because of his perfect righteousness. Father, I am so thankful that if we confess our, like, you're faithful and just to forgive us from any and all unrighteousness. So, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move amongst us this morning. Please, would you help us not to treat this again? Help us not get in the routine of doing church, but being the church, but allowing your spirit to move amongst us and transform us and grow us and that God we would we would hunger we would hunger and thirst for more of you thank you Jesus and it's in your name I pray amen hear the assurance of pardon now in first John 4 18 through 19 where it says there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Let's continue to worship together in song. I invite you to stand.
How are we doing this morning? You're here. Whew, you're, it was bitter cold this morning. Man, it was bitter cold on that run. So, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them uh, and turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at uh, 13 through 23 this morning. Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 23. This is not a very Christmassy passage. A lot of you know Advent series they kind of just skip over this 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 Christmas section in Matthew because as you're going to see, it's pretty dark. <laughs> it's a it's one of those scenes we don't really talk about a lot that happens at Christmas. And so um, hang on, it's going to be a wild ride this morning. But if you have Matthew, if you have the scripture, I'm reading from the ESV. We're going to dive right in. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Here we go. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then what was fulfilled was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and, and took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Amen. I'm titling this message, Waiting in Hope. Waiting in Hope. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you that we have um, your word this morning, and your spirit. Father, that's the two things we def we most definitely need. And that's the things I'm praying for. I just want that that I would just clearly show us what's here as we go through this, this difficult, heavy text, Lord. I just pray that also now your spirit would would fill this place and that Father we would we would be blown away with who you are. Because that's why we're gathering. We're not gathering. Please, Lord, remove the things of our heart that just are gathered because, oh, we just got to go to church because it's what good Christians do. Or we, we gather because I just, you know, I you know, just want to make myself feel good. No, we want to gather to worship. We want to gather to glorify you. We want to gather to be, because our affections, our desires are to know you. And I just pray that we would, we would know you more. We would love you more. We'd be satisfied more in who you are. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you caught it, but that last song we sing is kind of new. Has anybody heard that song? Um, yeah, it's it's a new song, and it's uh, our worship team rocked it, by the way. Good job. Our worship team rocks, don't they? I mean, goodness, they just, whew, they rock. It's like, you know, the good team, and then Team B comes up. You know, Team A, and then Team B. You know? uh, but it's it's a, it's a really powerful song, and it's titled, Come All You Unfaithful. So it's like, you know, when I sent the text, like, hey, we should play this song, 
It's like, wait, are you got a typo? Is it a come all ye faithful? And no, the title of the song is Come All You Unfaithful. And I, I thought it appropriate to tell you how this song uh, came about. Um, because it ties exactly into what this passage is really kind of all about. Um, so Lisa, Ka Lisa Clow, I think that's how you say her last name. Lisa Clow, she is from Sovereign Grace um, Music. And, you know, go ahead and add that to your playlist. Sovereign Grace Music, great, good, reformed, great worship music. So, so she says this. This is how she came to write the song. She says this. It had been a long year and a half. Finances were stressful. I missed scary, miss scary twins. And on top of that, I was battling deep relational bitterness. My church was having their annual service where they kicked off the Christmas season with carols and special songs. And I, for once, was not singing. I told them that I wouldn't be able to sing. But what they didn't know is that I was too overcome with shame to stand on the stage before the church. That Sunday morning, I stood at my seat, and as they began, <coughs> excuse me, as they began to sing, "Oh, come, all ye faithful," and the first line of the song just clobbered me. It hit me like a giant wave of guilt. "Oh, come, all ye faithful." Joyful and triumphant, I thought. I remember hearing those words and thinking I had been so unfaithful. I had been so unfaithful. My joy was not there. My joy was dwindling, and I am a triumphant failure. And I didn't sing the rest of the service. She says, I drove home, my mind churning. Is that really who's invited to come to Jesus? The faithful? The joyful? The triumphant? If so, then I'm hopeless. Thankfully, later that afternoon, the Holy Spirit reminded me of Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest found in the life, his death, and his resurrection, not my own. That evening, I had a strong conviction to write a song for myself and for the weary and the broken and the ashamed amidst the Christmas season. See, I read that and my heart was just struck. Because here's what I think we can do with this season. And, and we, we get all in lights and camera and points and joy, 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 joy. But uh, what if the joy's not there? I heard, I heard this week that Christmas is not about darkness being destroyed. I hate to bust your bubble, but Christmas is not about darkness being completely destroyed. Christmas is about light coming amidst the darkness, coming into the darkness. We still have darkness, but it's about Christ coming into it, invading that space. I watched the music video of this same song, and it was kind of eerie and weird because there's on the screen these people, and you know, the song starts playing, and their faces are distraught. Like some of them are crying and holding each other, and you're like, what is happening? It's like awkward. Like you, you can't watch it because it's like, ah, because you just see such pain and turmoil and darkness and, and on their faces, and then you read. I went on the Gospel Coalition website and I read, like, what is the point behind this music video? And it's all real people who've had real situations this past year. So some of them, some of them were just experienced a stillborn child, a death of a stillborn child. Some of them had just had just had went through the worst strained marriage season of their life. Some of them had feelings of deep shame. Some of them had legalism. Some of them were battling deep season of loneliness. But here is, the, here is where we're going to wrestle this morning. Despite such darkness, guys, despite such heaviness, despite you look around and you see the darkness, we have extreme hope in Christ. And so my aim this morning is to ask that question, how can we? How can we have our hope renewed? 
What, what, what renews our hope this Christmas season? Even, like, you might, not, you might not be in a dark season, but I'm telling you what, life is, there's a dark season coming. We all go through them, we all hit them, and so how do we have our hope renewed? That's where we're headed. Are you guys tracking with me? I know that was kind of like, wow, I'm headed, but are you tracking? Okay, so here we go. We're going to look at verses 13 and 15, and I got some observations, so if you're taking notes, jot them down. Jot them down. I'm looking to see who's taking notes too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to be like, <clears throat> right, here we go. Point number one, we pursue hope. We pursue hope by remembering Jesus is bringing us into a new exodus. Now that's like, what are you talking about? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to help you understand what he means there. So verses three, so the text starts, I love this. You know, Joseph, uh, it starts with another dream. You know, how many dreams are in the Christmas story, by the way? There's tons. There are tons of dreams happening. So another dream happens, and um, it comes to Joseph, and it says, Rise, take, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Now, this is a really amazing point, because again, you have to see, we have to see Joseph and his faithfulness in the Christmas story. I think we just undermine him. Thank you, Mary. Mary, you're great. But Joseph, think about this. Think about the way he just, he just leaves in the middle of the night. He picks up his, his family, and he goes. He is faithful. And I had to put this in there just as a side note. So, you know, this one's for free. But hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Men in this church, if you're a man and you have children, you are to protect your family. Your great job, like, and I, 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 I know a lot of us in Western world, we might get the physical protection, like, yeah, I'm going to protect, you know, I'm going to get a gun, and I'm going to physically protect. Like, yes, like, you are called to protect your, phys- your, your family physically, but you are also called to protect your family spiritually. The moment you had children, the moment you got in a covenant relationship with your wife, guess what? Guess who's the leader in that, in that relationship? You. You're the spiritual leader. You are to guard that family. And can I tell you something? I don't mean bust your little bubble, but the enemy hates your family. He hates you. And he will do everything in his power to destroy, to manipulate, to pry bar, to get in the middle of your marriage, to get in the middle of you and your children. And I'm telling you right now, listen, just a very simple practical application. If you're a man, you should be on your knees every single day praying for your wife and your children. It doesn't have to be long. It could be even like, oh, Lord Jesus, I am not liking my wife today. Woo, boy. Like, be honest with it. But just lifting your wife's name up to God, just in prayer, watch what that does. Every single day. And watch what it does. You just pray, Lord Jesus, would you just help my kids to love you, to know you, to pray for by name. That has nothing to do with what my sermon, but I'm just telling you guys, I just really felt that heavy upon my heart because this is what Joseph was doing. He was guarding, he was protecting. I see this over and over in the Christmas story. And then also he takes a huge step of faith forward because he goes to Egypt. Now you gotta know historical context. Do you know how far Egypt is? Anybody wanna take a guess? 90 miles to the outer border. And that's just the outer border. That's not even like going deep down into Egypt. Do you know how long it would have taken him? Two weeks. Two weeks of, imagine that, my baby and Mary. Like, I'm about to go to, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. I'm about to go to Illinois and our Dodge Caravan. And I tell you what, you can pray for me. There is nothing like traveling with a bunch of kids, screaming. Now, we've got a TV in our van even. But holy cow, watch out. You should be a fly on the wall. You'd be like, that's our pastor? Yeah, I need grace. Man, but I mean, it, it, and that's just like a day of travel too. But can you imagine weeks? So he goes out, he's, he's, he's traveling. But then also, why, you have to ask the question, why did he, why Egypt? Because this is outside of Herod's jurisdiction. So he couldn't have, he couldn't have messed with them. He couldn't have messed with them. So, but 
Here is the, here's the profound thing. You have to see continually God's providence in protecting Jesus all throughout the Christmas story. That is one theme constantly being seen here. But also, the real power, the real power in 13 and 15 comes in verse 15. Verse 15 says, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, what is happening there? I'm glad you asked. Because actually three times, three times through this section of scripture, we get Old Testament prophecy. All right? He, Matthew's just going to see how well you know your Old Testament. He's going to drop some Old Testament prophecy up in here. And he does. This is a big deal um, that we're going to see at the, each one of these sections. So in this, he's actually quoting this out of Egypt, I call my son, is actually Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It's an Old Testament prophecy right here. And see, to really get the hope behind this prophecy, you have to get the context of Hosea. So Hosea is actually talking about in chapter 11 that Israel was being delivered. Israel was being delivered out of Egypt. So... Little Old Testament refresher. Israel was captive, right? The Israelites were in Egypt for a while. They were, and they were under slavery in Egypt. But God comes in and he delivers his people out. Right? It's an amazing story. Exodus is great. The ten plagues, like Owen always is like, oh, I love the ten plagues. I love all the frogs. I'm like, dude, no, you wouldn't. Um, and so, and, and, and hear, hear, hear me out though, but we have to take our Bible story, our Bible study, one step further. Okay, when we start talking about the Old Testament, because here is how we take our Bible studies from being good to being, okay, great. Is we always have to remember every single passage in the Bible points to Jesus. It's always pointing back to Jesus. So we have to ask the question, why in the world is Matthew talking about Israel being delivered in the Exodus and, 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 and Jesus all in the same one? Because here is something that you need to put in your back pocket. Jesus is the true and better Israel. He is the fulfiller of what Israel was supposed to be. Listen, the Israelites, I don't know, you look at them, they didn't have a really good track record. They didn't really, you know, they said, oh, we'll obey, and it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well ever. And here, this is why God's like, okay, I've got to send my son. He is the only perfect Israelite. He is the only one that, that, that lives the life that could have actually lived. And just as God used the Exodus to draw his people out, Jesus now is ushering us in to a new Exodus. Uh, Philip uh, Riken, who's a, just a way smarter guy than I am, he says this, Jesus is the climax of biblical history. So that all God did to deliver his people points to the deliverance wrought by God's Son. See, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 1, and we learned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that for he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. And you think, you think, you know, the, the fact that, that being in slavery in, in Egypt was a bad thing. And it was. It was a physical enslavement, but God drove them out. In the same way, Matthew is saying, okay, Jesus now is going to be a new exodus for my people. And it's not going to be that they're just delivered out of slavery, but I'm going to deliver them out of the slavery of sin. Sin, death, slavery, and and the grave, guys, this is what he has come to do. To rescue you from your sin. To deliver you. To bring you into a new exodus. I watched a documentary this week that blew my mind. And our, our family's mind. It's called The Rescue. Has anybody seen this? Yeah. The Rescue on, on, it's on Disney+. Plus. And it's about the true story of the, of the 12 boys and the one coach that gets stranded in this cave in Thailand. Does anybody remember this? I think it happened a couple of years ago. And it was, it was just crazy. So these boys are actually trapped in a cave um, with water. There's water coming in the cave. And they're, 
they are 2.5 miles into this cave underwater. Like, and so they call the best cave divers in the world to, to imagine the, how are we going to get them out. It took them three hours just to swim to get to where the boys were. And they were, they were trying to go through, okay, can we dig them out? We, don't, we can't. How in the world are we going to get them out? And there was tons of people, like, you know, coming around with plans and ideas of how we're going to get them out. They it tirelessly, tirelessly searches and searching and searching. Finally, they said, we got to sedate these boys and swim them out. They literally sedate these boys and they strap these boys onto these crazy cave divers. And for three hours, they swim out of this dark, crazy cave. And the whole time, I'm like, that's an amazing rescue. And I don't mean the Jesus Jukas, but it was like, wow. Jesus is so, he is furiously longing to save you. Of your sin, your shame. He is coming into the cave and saying, I cannot wait to rescue you from your sin. Listen, there's no anger, there's no lust, there's no pride, there's no lying, there's no cheating, there's no depression, there's no anxiety, there's no pride that Jesus cannot deliver you from. It might seem like, oh man, my sin is just, it's just it's impossible. Like how he is saying, I'm coming, and I this is what I've come to bring you into you. Have hope. Have hope. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you can say, Lord Jesus, I need your healing, I need your rescue. And he is not going to say, okay, no, you're just way too far in that cave. No, are you kidding me? No, he's coming. So our hope is renewed by looking at the fact that he's leading us into a new exodus. We pursue hope also by looking back and looking forward. I know that sounds weird. We, we, we pursue hope by looking back and by looking forward. So this is verses 16 and 18. So Joseph and Mary, they flee to Egypt, but the aftermath of this leads to Herod's evil. He's frustrated and angry because his plans are thwarted. And so what does he do? He has all these two-year-olds because he, he, he figures out that Jesus was roughly maybe around one, so he doesn't want to leave any room for mistakes, so he has all the two-year-olds about him killed. This is a horrible, horrible tragedy. Bethlehem was a rural area, and so we know, scholarship tells us, that maybe 15, maybe max 20 children were killed. And this is not outside of Herod's character, right? As we learned a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, Herod is insane for his throne. He doesn't want to let up his throne. But again, the power in this, the hope in this dark passage comes in this prophecy. And listen, and when he says right here in verses 18, fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted. And sure, they are no more. Now this, now hold on, you're going to track with me. This is a prophecy from where? Okay, you got it. It says it right, Jeremiah. But Jeremiah chapter 31. And why Jer this is such a profound moment is because you got to know what Jeremiah 31 is all about. What's happening in Jeremiah 31? Well, again, it's in the context of when the nation of Israel was in exile in Babylon. <laughs> okay, so the people of God, they don't, again, the Israelites, they don't have a good track record. They end up not obeying the covenant and fulfilling like, and Babylon comes in and takes them captive, and this is a horrible tragedy. Literally, there's, there's children stripped away from families. People are, are being stripped away, and they're being hauled off to Rama in exile. And Rachel, it says Rachel there, you know, Rachel and Leah from the Old Testament. Rachel is, she is the symbolic for a, uh, the mother, um, the ideal mother of the Jews. And her response would be all of our response, weeping. I mean, could you imagine having your children stripped from your hands and, and, and just weeping and wailing? So it was a horrible tragedy. 
But the next verse in Jeremiah is this. Jeremiah chapter 31 is not about a horrible darkness. It's about hope. Because the next verse in Jeremiah is this. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping, your eyes from tears. And then in 17 it says, there is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. So he is saying all throughout chapter 31, and literally chapter 31 is where we see that Jesus is going to institute a new covenant. I love it. So he said, okay, yes, this exile is hard, but God is going to deliver again. Yes, you're going to get out of exile, but also more importantly, he is going to send a son to usher in a new covenant relationship with my people. See, there is hope for the Israelites, and there's hope for us by looking back, because think about the Israelites, again, in the context of Christmas, 400 years of waiting and, and no prophecy and, and being in exile and thinking back to, oh, God was promising us this land and the covenant to Abraham and this coming Messiah. Is it ever going to happen? And it always comes through. His promises always deliver. Listen, your hope, your hope and my hope, it gets renewed when we, when we look back to, when we look in the rearview mirror and we think, wow. Look at all the ways God has been faithful in the past. And we look back by looking into the scripture and the promises that we see there. So our hope is renewed by looking back. God was faithful to the Israelites. He's going to be faithful to us. And the same thing, we look back, but we also look forward. We look forward knowing that Jesus is coming back. And he's not coming back as a cute little eight-ounce baby, you know. He's coming back on a... On a horse with a fire and a sword tattooed on his thigh. I mean, he is coming back. And this is what he says in Revelation 21 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain, for the older things have passed away. Listen, there is no other answer in the planet for why unspeakable evil happens outside of the Bible. How many people always say, oh, that's just biology, we're just biology. Oh, hold it. Uh, do you want to be treated like biology? I don't want you to treat me like biology. The thing is, is that it is because this world is broken and under a need of a curse. I mean, we're under a curse. Adam and Eve, they... That, far as the curse is found, we have fallen and the world is tainted by sin and we need Jesus' complete renewal. See, I heard a pastor this week, this was so good, I heard a pastor, maybe it wasn't this week, um, but he was, he was talking about, he watched, um, he was watching one of his, his, his favorite team's college football games and you know, he's just, he's obsessed with this college football team. I forgot who it was. It might have been UCLA. I don't know. doesn't matter. But there was like a minute left in the game. There was like a minute left in the game, and they're, they're down by a touchdown, but they're on the 30-yard line. There's no way they're winning. He's about to turn it off because he's like, oh, hope is gone. I hate this. Like, ah, you know, he's crying. Whatever. But then, you know, they, they throw a Hail Mary. You know, like, 20% of the time, maybe 10% of the time this works, but they throw a Hail Mary, and sure enough, you bubble, their, their team bubbles around, and they're uh, auto it, and they score a touchdown, and they win. And he's like, oh, this is amazing. But then he said the best part was I DVR'd it. He DVR'd it, and like a weirdo, he goes back and watches the game over and over again. And this is really, it's really weird. He's like, I go back, and I watch the people's faces. Dude, you're weird. But like he, he's like, I, I watch, he's like, I just watch the, the opposing team and they're all celebrating and their little their little uh, mascot is like skipping around and he's like, oh just wait, I know how it is, I know how it is. He's like, oh I know it. And then he's like, I watch, I watch the my team, and they're all like crying and sad. And he says this profound thing. He says, I just wish I could say I know how the story ends. So they could know. Listen, listen, folks. 
We take our world, our horizontal life, way too serious. We know how this story ends. I mean, I know I'm going to shout out amen to that, but I know how this story, we know how this story ends. And it ends for our victory. Listen, you, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is, you don't fight for victory, but from victory. You already have victory in Christ. You don't need to go fight for victory. It's coming. And, and so let, let me just tell you, there is not a pain, there is not an evil that is going to get not met by the grace of Jesus Christ. This side of eternity or this side or when judgment comes. So you can take a big breath. Our, let's long for that second heaven. Christ is coming again. Yes, it might look dark, but we know how it ends. Every single knee will bow. Every single knee. Woo, I'm yelling this morning. Okay, all right. Um, uh, so final point here. We, uh, we seek hope by remembering Jesus works in unusual ways. Oh, this is so good. Verses 19 through 23. Verse 19 picks up back the story of Joseph and Mary. And, and Herod dies. And once Joseph... You know, again, he comes in a dream and it says, you know, go back to Israel. And it's like, well, Archelaus is there and that's Herod's, you know, son. And he's just as messed up. And so they end up in Nazareth. They end up in Nazareth. Now, this is, this is profound. Again, Matthew says at the end of verse 23, he says, So that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, I'll give 10 bucks, 10 bucks to someone here this morning. I don't know if I'm supposed to do this from book, but 10 bucks for whoever tells me th where this prophecy is from. That out of, right here, okay, he will be called a Nazarene. Where is that in the Old Testament? I see some people like, oh my gosh, is he going to call? No, I'm not going to call on you. <laughs> <laughs> this is not in the Old Testament. You might be like, oh, what? Matthew's a liar in the Bible. But we, hold it, this exact phrase, he would be called Nazareth, is actually not in the Old, this exact, is not in the Old Testament. Matthew isn't a liar, but he's doing what theologians call this, and hang on, you've got the pull up your pants here, this is kind of a fulfillment formula without a quotation typically signifies the thought that pervades scripture. So if it's not, you know, when he says, oh, as it's fulfilled, as it's fulfilled, and it's, there's not a direct quotation that he would be called an Nazarene, what is the thought that he is saying? There is a thought that he is saying that pervades all Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Are you tracking? So in order to understand what Matthew means by the thought of him being called a Nazarene, we have to understand what being a Nazarene would be like. Or what would being from Nazareth be like? And let me just tell you, Nazareth, Nazareth is that backwater place. You know, you don't want to be driving through there late at night. You know, keep your windows rolled up. Like, it's the low socioeconomic place. You know, whoo, like, speed up, honey. Speed up. Let's get through here, okay? Because this is Nazareth. Literally, legit, like, when Philip, I love this, <laughs> when Philip... Um, comes to Nathaniel and he's like, Philip's like, oh, I found a Messiah. And Nathaniel's like, whoa, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, Nazareth? So here is what Matthew is alluding to of Old Testament prophecy. Matthew is alluding to all the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus would be despised. He would be rejected. He would be misunderstood. I mean, literally, this is what Isaiah 53 is all about. Literally, Isaiah 53 says this. He was despised and rejected by men. He didn't value him. We didn't value him. Now tell me, why in the world would this produce hope in us? Well, I'll tell you, because God, our God works not as the world works. The world says, oh, come on, you put together Come on, you cleaned up. No, like you look at scripture. I love how God works. And our world would say, oh, he needs to be from Rome, not Nazareth. He needs to be like some 
crazy, strong baby that has laser eyes or something. <laughs> but you realize, like, if you look at the Old Testament characters, who does God choose? The barren. Who does God choose? Oh, the, the second born, not the first born. Who does God choose? Oh, uh, Jesse, you know, hey, can you get all your sons together? Um, I'm a prophet. I'm going to anoint one of the new kings. And Jesse gets all his sons together. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a nice row. And Jesse, and Samuel's like, uh, wait a minute. Jesse, do you have all your sons? He's like, oh. Jesse's like, oh, I forgot one. That does happen. Okay. And he's like, oh, yeah, David. Oh, yeah, oh, David. Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess there's the run. David, he's out taking care of the sheep. God's like, I'm choosing him. Listen, listen. That's hope. That's good news. God comes for those who are weak and lowly and in need and broken. And because why? Because, uh, you know, it's the people who are strong and powerful who miss Christ most of the time. And, and, and listen, I love it because God saves. Also, God saves. This brings me hope. God saves all like the rest of the world because... Jesus comes and who does he die for? He dies for Herod. He dies for the chief priests. He dies for the disciples who end up missing the boat. A lot of times they are not a, a, a holdup of faithfulness. And now this might be getting in your face a little bit, but it got in my face. Because often when we read scripture, there's good guys and there's bad guys in scripture. Like I read this story, and who's the good guys in our scripture? Joseph and Mary, right? Here's the bad guys in the scripture. Herod, obviously. And most of the time, who do we want to identify with? We want to say, oh, I'm like Joseph. I'm like Mary. We always want to identify with the good people, don't we? But I will tell you what, we're probably a whole lot more like Herod in this story than we are like Joseph and Mary. You want to know why? Not the fact that we're going to go kill baby, but like, the fact that, hear me out, Jesus was coming to invade his kingdom. We all got little kingdoms. Oh, Jesus, oh, ooh, this, is, Jesus uh, this is my kingdom. Don't be coming up in my kingdom, Jesus. You're coming, whoa, Jesus, you're telling me to, whoa, whoa, you're telling me, like, I gotta get up earlier and, and read scripture. Oh, you're telling me I gotta share my faith. Love. You're telling me I gotta pray. Jesus, I'm not sure. Don't be invading my kingdom. We're often so much more like Herod, guys. We're just, oh, oh, don't get in my desires. Don't come to my in my kingdom, Jesus. David Platt, I love, and I'm, I'm landing. I'm landing the plane. David Platt says this. I love it. He says, your deepest joy will be experienced. And I, 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 I completely agree with this. Your deepest joy will be experienced when you live for God's highest glory. So you want deepest joy in your life? You want to get the deepest joy out of your life? You know where it comes? Not living for your glory in the least bit. It's living, how can I live for God's glory all the more? That's how you get more joy. And what's our world say? Oh, be like Herod. Protect your He comes from the spies and rejected. 
and he dies for his enemies, even us. So, as I close, I wonder, I wonder if anyone feels like the woman who wrote that song. I mean, I'll be on spin ministry a long time, and there's times I've sat with Peter, like, I don't know if I can get up, like, it's, it's been a heavy week, actually, I don't know if I can. I, 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 I don't know, you might be battling, this week you might be battling feeling hopeless, fearful, weak, unstable, barren, waiting, weary of praying, bitter, broken, fears unspoken, guilty, isolated. But here's the hope. Christ is born. He's the lamb that was given, slain for your pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and it does all the work. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you would take my weak words and whatever I said that needed to be said that would speak and would only stir affections for your glory, God, I pray that you would stir it, you would move it, and that, that people would be more transformed here. Anything I said that I shouldn't have said would just be removed. But Lord, I pray too, if there's anyone that needs to repent, that is, does not believe in you, that does not put hope in you, I pray right now that they would just simply turn and whatever words you give them in their heart, they pray to you, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I believe you are God's Son who took away my sin upon that cross. And I am putting my faith in you. Would you be the Lord of my life? I pray that, God, that you would call sinners to repentance, that new people would come to know you and love you and be satisfied in you. Thank you again for what you're doing. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we come now to a, a time of tithes and offering. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6-7 says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that part. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. I mean, giving is just, you're sowing. That's what giving is, is you're sowing into the kingdom. And so, I love it. The more I give, the more I get to see, wow, look what God does with what he already owns anyway. So I would encourage you, if it's in your heart, to give for joy and a joyful year. There's ways to give um, online, and there's envelopes in the back. So I invite you to stand now as we sing our closing hymn.
this week knowing that Jesus is the light in the midst of our darkness. Jesus is eternal peace and hope of this world. Amen. Could be blessed. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com.